Hi. <clears throat> yeah, it's a really simple line. We're not handed tomorrow, so I'll live for today. It's sort of sort of classic. I, I got no idea what's coming after here, so all I got is right now. I've, I've told people if I were not a Christian, I'd be an existentialist. It's what makes the most sense. If there's nothing beyond, then all you got is this moment and this moment alone. So, so live for it. You know, I, I, I saw this thing on the Food Network, and, and you may not watch the Food Network, but you should. And I saw this thing on the Food Network, and I did, actually it wasn't a good show. There's some good shows. If you want to know what they are afterwards, I'll, I'll tell you what they are. But this one was not particularly good, and it was people basically who had gone, I, in my opinion, a little bit over the edge in their life in trying to um, live forever. Seriously. And so they, they, were, they had these, you know, sort of um, very narrow diets, like one who only ate raw things or things cooked at a, a 105 degrees. Because his theory was that 105 degrees, it, it left its, all the nutrients. And he said people thought he was kind of crazy because you know, he ran like 90 miles a week. And if you don't run, that's a lot. <laughs> if you do run, that's a lot. And, and they showed one scene where he's in a race and he goes, people, you know, they, they just wonder what I'm doing. He cuts off the, you know, the, 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 the run and he goes back into the woods and he, he starts pulling things off the bushes and, and eating them. And he says, and people think I'm, I'm kind of different. Yeah, a little. And, <laughs> you know... But it, you know his ideas. You know I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna fit and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on living. And and then one of the things they, they said is okay, the, the lifespan of somebody in America is between 75 and 80 years. And they said, but what if you could add 10 more years to it? And I'm thinking, if you're 75 or 80, sorry. But I'm thinking, not sure I want to. You know, 49, everything's breaking down. 75 or 80, I'm not 10 more years. And really, in the grand scheme of things, 10 more years all right, you still end up sort of at the same place. Because I'm going to tell you something, you may not know this, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. That's, you know? And so they're, they're, they're having this motivation, but if I can live a few more years, and I'm thinking, I would really rather eat some tasty stuff and die at 76 <laughs> than forage in the woods in the middle of a race and live to 84. Personal personal opinion you got to do something with the whole I'm going to die thing you know one you know you can do a, a number of different things one is ignore it obviously but what, it was interesting one of my students he uh he said to me you know I'm terrified of dying I can't remember how this whole conversation came up because it's not like your normal you know conversation but he said I'm terrified of dying and he said not, not because I mean, he goes, I don't believe in hell or heaven or anything he goes I believe I won't exist anymore and the idea that I will cease to exist is terrifying to me so he'd done a little bit of thought about it and the prospect of it was not, not particularly appealing to him in, in the passage <clears throat> we're going to look at today Jesus deals with death he goes you know he goes head on at the issue of death. He deals with it slightly different than you and I do. He raises somebody from the dead. And <clears throat> there's, you know, after I say, even for Jesus, it's a little unusual. He, he only raises three people from the dead. And, you know, that sounds like, well, only. It's three, he's three up on me. But he only raises three people from the dead, one a year, you know. And they're all sort of interesting cases. The the, the people he raises from, from the dead, the, the, the two of them are, are requests, direct requests. 
And in one of them, this request, the person isn't dead yet. So really, only one time did somebody, when they were you know, dead, say, can you come raise somebody, this person from the dead? And I think because it's, it's sort of an extreme request. Even, you know, we can look back on it and say, okay, Jesus can raise people from the dead. But at the time, it was like, okay, maybe if I broke my hand, I'll go to Jesus. Or, but the whole raising from the dead thing seems a bit extreme. The only time somebody directly comes to him and says, can you raise this person from the dead, is when his friends, Martha and Mary, come to him about his friend Lazarus, their brother, and he says, and they say, you know, Lazarus has died. If you had been there, he would not have, he would not have died. And actually, they don't even directly ask him. He, he says, well, do, do you believe I can... Essentially, he says, do you believe I can raise him from the dead? And they said, well, sort of. <laughs> and he, he uses the occasion to, to teach them something, which we'll talk about later. But it's one of my favorite scenes in the Bible, honestly, because then Jesus goes, and, and Lazarus has been dead for four days, and, and he's about to raise him from the dead, you know, big deal. And it, before he does so, he weeps. You know, and I think, I don't think I'd weep. I'd, I'd be like, hey, watch this, this is going to be really cool. He weeps, why? Because he's seen their, their sorrow, and that, that breaks his heart. He knows that for four days, they've been dealing with the death of a loved one. Most of you have probably dealt with the death of a loved one. You know the, the extreme pain of that. And so even though he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he, he weeps. The other incident, other than the one we're going to look at today, where there's a request, is, is Jesus raises a, the, um, the daughter, it says little daughter, a little girl, of a synagogue ruler named Jairus from, from the dead. But when the request comes, a request comes and says, that, you know, Jairus sends his servants and says, my little girl is dying. She's not dead yet. She's dying. Can you come, Jesus? Can you come and see, you know, can you heal her? And Jesus agrees. And on the way, it's the scene where somebody tugs on his garments. And he looks around and he goes, somebody, and he's in a crowd. And he goes, somebody tugged on my garment. And his disciples are going, Jesus, you know, there's people all around you. But he knows something has happened. And he, he stops and he deals with this whole situation with a woman. And in the meantime, while he takes this little interlude, the girl dies. And it's like, Jesus, you kind of loitered on the way. And, now and so the, the servants come back and they say, never mind, she's dead. And Jesus goes there and looks at the little girl and he says, rise. And she, she rises. And this is the, the third incident we're going to look at um, today. It's not a request at all. It's Jesus walking into the midst of a scene and choosing to do something that would have been incredibly awkward. He walks in the middle of a funeral. Well, and you'll see what happens. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. If you've not been here during this series, we're looking at encounters that Jesus had, which were, uh, they disrupted. <laughs> they disrupted people and events because he was trying to, to change the status quo. And we're, we're, all, we're looking at the encounters only in the, the Gospel of Luke. And this is what happens. Soon afterward, that means soon after the story last week of the centurion's servant, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large, large crowd went with him. <clears throat> after that incident, he'd begun to build this crowd. So he's got a big following. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, that's a, um, you, 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 that's a, 
this is a big deal. You know, there's, there's, there's two pretty important things going on here. One is, she's a widow. Her, her husband has already died. Now her only son has died. Can you imagine the crushing emotions of it? And the day has been a whirlwind because by Jewish custom, the, the, the dead has to be taken outside of the city to be buried by nightfall. And so it, is, it has been a crush of activity and deep, deep loss. But it's even more. I mean, the emotions would be intense, but it's coupled with this. She, she is now because of the nature of society there without any man in her life without a husband, without a son she is now has a destiny of public begging that's how she will now make her money and so her fortunes have been destroyed she has seen her husband die she has seen her only son die and beyond the emotional pain of that she now knows my life will be a life of public begging and so the level of despair and sadness would have been almost overwhelming. And there's a large crowd going along with her. And this is what happens. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Now, unless you're going to do something like he is, not a great thing to say at a funeral. You know, she's crying. Don't cry. It just in that moment, how trite and superficial would that have seemed? Don't cry. It, it'll be fine. He looks at her and he utters those words and then he does something stunning. <laughs> then he went up and he touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. Now, understand there's something more behind that too. By Jewish custom, him touching the, the coffin, the bar meant that he was unclean for a day. He could have no contact with others. He couldn't eat with others for a day. His, his ministry now was done for the day. If he touched the, the body, his ministry was done for a week. And so he does something that people just didn't do. He walks up in the midst of the funeral procession. Nobody has asked him to do anything. He walks in the midst of the funeral procession, puts his hand on the coffin, and then he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Okay, this would be big too. <laughs> uh, you know, think mummy. Seriously, I mean, it's not, you know, most of the people were not... In the first moment, I don't believe they were thinking, look, a miracle had happened. They were going, ah, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, it's utterly bizarre. This guy sits, he sits up, he's covered with cloths, right? Somebody's going to have to unwrap him before anything else happens. So somebody now has got to go over and they've they got to unwrap him from the cloth before he begins to speak. We're missing that little part there. But, but that's what happens. And then it says, and then he gave her back gave him back to his mother. It, it, to me, it's a very powerful scene saying a number of things about Jesus. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. In this moment, this boy is raised from the dead, but he's going to die again. This is a temporary fix. Jesus raised three different people from the dead. It was, they were temporary fixes. They were not permanent solutions. And so what exactly is he doing here? 
I think there's a, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One is is mercy. I mean, it just it shows the the depth of the mercy of Jesus. He's I mean, he, he, he's already done enough, right? He just healed somebody that, you know, right before this. He's, he's got a crowd following because all sorts, I mean, miracles are flying out of him. And, all, and now he walks up and he doesn't even know who this person is. He's got no idea. And because he, his heart goes out to her, that's what it says, his heart went out to her. He saw her pain, that he went through all, broke taboos, you know, broke any sense of social custom that he's supposed to keep in mind because he looks at the woman uh, and it's my opinion he did it far more for the woman than he did for the boy he looks at the woman and he sees her pain and he sees her heart back break and he says I'm not, I'm not going to let this stand he, he didn't go to every I mean he didn't go to every cemetery in Israel and just start walking through and like today is raised the dead day and you know very selectively because it's a temporary fix but here he does it because he sees the pain, and the pain is so extreme, and he's walking in and says, I've got to take care of this. And he raised the boy from the dead. It's a picture of mercy, being willing to cross boundaries. To me, it's a particularly challenging passage, being willing to cross boundaries, to cross social taboos, to cross customs, in order to bring mercy to somebody who needs it. But the other thing that stands out to me is the fact that death cannot survive the power of Jesus. It can't win. Death cannot survive the power that he brings. It cannot survive his redemptive work. In another passage in where he raises Lazarus from the dead, as he's talking to the, the sisters Mary and Martha, he, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though they die, they'll live again. Do you believe? He says, teaching point here I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead but this is a teaching point here I want you to understand that I beat death you know essentially the ministry of Jesus was about attacking death and bringing life you see there's two fundamental principles at work in the Bible but in our life in general there are two fundamental principles at work life and death Life being that which restores us to fullness. To the the biblical concept of shalom. A deep, centered, holistic peace of heart and mind and soul. A peace without brokenness. A peace without disconnection. That restores us to fully who we are supposed to be and who we are supposed to be in relationship with God the principle of life. And there's another principle that you see throughout the Bible, but we see throughout our lives, and that's the principle of death. Death being that which causes things to unravel, to decay, to tear apart. Physically, all death is is, is, the, is the decay, the cessation of life. But we see it all throughout our lives. Things that cause our heart to die, our soul to die. Things that cause relationships to die. That cause things to unravel. And way back in the Old Testament, there's this very striking passage where 
Jewish leader named Joshua looks at a group of people that he's a little uncertain about what they're going to do. And he says, I have set before you today life and death. Now choose life. Choose life. And what I want to talk to you about in the remainder of the time is two ways that you and I can choose life. Live in such a way that it restores the soul as opposed to living in such a way that it causes the soul and life to unravel. The first is we can choose life for eternity. I mean, I just want to be straight up about this. You can choose life for eternity. It is part of the specific content of the Christian faith that humanity is made to live forever. That, that, that my friend's fear of annihilation is not true. That you and I were made to live forever. And, and, and there's a sense in which we know that deep down. There's a passage way back in the wisdom literature that, that says this. God has set eternity in our hearts. That deep down somewhere, it's why we question, it's why we wonder so much. Deep down in our hearts there's a sense of life doesn't end at the grave. And part of the specific content of the Christian faith is that life doesn't end at the grave. That we were made for more. That our souls were made, they were destined to live forever. And the death we experience of the body is not the final death. And Jesus deals with this over and over again in it, during his three-year ministry. We'll, we'll say, if you believe in me, you pass out of death and into life. If you believe in me, you enter into eternal life. You enter into a relationship with me forever. And, and part of the very specific calling that Jesus gives throughout his three-year ministry is he calls people to embrace this. To believe what they know, which is that life is eternal, and to turn to him, the only one who can accomplish a life with him forever. That these raisings of the dead he did were temporary, but his resurrection is permanent. And he promises that anyone who embraces him who asks for forgiveness, who asks for him to come into their life, that he will not only live with them now, but they will live forever with him. Choose life. Some of you have not chosen that. It is your choice. It is always your choice. I would just say to you today, flat out, Jesus calls you to eternity. He calls you into a relationship with him forever. You need not fear death. Because beyond the grave, beyond the pale, he is there waiting for you. To make you in that time fully alive. And since it's in fact what you were made for. But the specific content of the Christian faith is not simply about eternity. It's about the restoration of life here. It's about how we live right now. Right now, see what Joshua was saying to that group of people was, choose life now. The, the, the ministry of Jesus was about attacking those things which cause people's souls to break down. And, and I could go into a hundred different things, but a, a couple of them, he was, he, he, those things which break the soul down, self-righteousness, and so he confronted the, the Pharisees about their self-righteousness because it kept them from being fully alive. Licentiousness. So when, you know, living for whatever, whatever pleasure, just whatever. 
And so when, when, he, when he speaks to a woman and offers forgiveness to someone who has, who has, who has lived as a prostitute, he, he says, I forgive you, I give you grace, but now leave that because you were not made for that. Apathy. The, the sense of, you know, I, I don't care, whatever in my life, it, it, it deadens the soul. And so Jesus was challenging people to do more with their life. Despair. When hope is lost, life begins to die. And so Jesus walks into people's life like this woman. As hope was at an all-time low and offers her life. Jesus made his life about attacking those things which cause our soul and other people's souls to unravel, to come apart, to decay, and then challenged us to live for ourselves and for others in a different way. Well, for you, how can you live today to choose life? You attack those things that are causing your soul to unravel. It sounds like the Matrix. Okay, if somebody like beams out of the room, let me know. Because that would be cool. And you attack those things that are causing your soul to unravel. And, and, and here's the thing. Here actually is the thing. You know what those are better than I am. Better than I do. Right now, you know those things. The ways you're living. The paths you're pursuing. The actions you're taking that are causing your heart to die. And, and the reality is there's so many things that we pour ourselves into that we live for that in the moment they seem like a good idea, don't they? In the moment they seem like a good idea. But the aftertaste reminds us this is not life. I mean, some of you are struggling with addictions and I don't need to tell you it's wrong. She, she know that. <laughs> I mean, you know it's not the way you're created. What you need to know is it's killing you. And so it needs to be attacked because you were made to be alive. Pick that thing out that's causing you to die. Refuse to allow it to live anymore. And know that Jesus has the power over death. And so what do you do? You say, Jesus, this thing is tearing my soul apart. And I know it. Would you, by your power, give me the strength to weigh into this? Would you give me the strength to, to talk to my small group about it so they can weigh into it with me? Would you show me, as I read the Bible, would you show me passages which give me strength and hope would you, by your spirit, lean into my heart so I can feel the sense of, I, I can believe for something more. And in the moment, in the very moment, in the very moment where I do those things, say those things that cause my soul to unravel, would you speak so firmly that I have the strength to walk away? Would you keep me from situations that I quite honestly can't handle? We can get very apathetic about the way we live. 
it makes our souls die. Jesus would have you live. Choose life. We can also choose life for the world around us. And the primary way I would encourage us as a community to choose life for the world around us is by building the dignity of people who are broken. Because when dignity gets shattered, people just retreat. They no longer believe. When dignity gets shattered, people have a difficult time believing there's a God or that there's any reason to attempt to live any other way than they are. I'm going to um, tell you a brief story about um, coaching soccer yesterday. And since Mason's name will erupt, I have told him, so I don't owe him any money. Yesterday, I, I, was, I, I used to coach soccer, and now I was just asked to coach game yesterday, Mason's indoor soccer team. And as I went into it, I was concerned because Mason's team is a first division classic team and if you know that, he can't play any higher at his age. And it's one of the top-ranked teams in the state. And they were playing in this indoor league, which is just an off-season thing. They were playing a recreational team, which is a bunch of kids who've gotten together to play soccer. The gap is massive. And I was really worried about humiliation. And I was trying to figure out, and I was only marginally successful at figuring out ways to keep the game at any level of closeness. And one of the things, but I pulled the boys over beforehand, and I said, look, you're, 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 you're going to be much better than they are. And here's a couple of rules we're going to follow along the way, but here's the biggest thing. Do not strike at their dignity. Do not carry yourself out with, around there with an arrogance that makes the score that much worse. Do not sneer at them. Do not laugh at them. If you knock one of them down, help, help them up. Speak to them. Carry yourself toward them in such a way that even though the score will be lopsided, they won't feel as if you guys were trying to tear them down. And the score was pretty lopsided. But I was proud of the boys because they didn't carry themselves with arrogance. Well, why did I think that was so important? Why? Because there's something about getting your dignity shattered that's incredibly debilitating. And some of you know that. Some of you know those moments in your life where your dignity has been so shattered that it caused a, a series of ramifications. You retreated. You put up walls. You cease to believe. You cease to hope. When the dignity gets shattered, people retreat into themselves. At Warehouse, we're a community that wants to love our city and bring dignity to people whose dignity has been shattered such that they can believe it's possible that there's a God out there who loves them and move toward a relationship with Him. And it's why, I mean, it's why I love being a part of this community. I mean, we, I, I realize we have one hole with the um, room at the end now, but you know, Mark told me a, a couple of days ago we've added extra days to our room in the end because we had so many volunteers you know, so now we're doing it every Sunday night because so many people volunteered. If you want to volunteer, I, except for that one night, Dana, you can't because everything else was filled in. There was a home repair situation, and it's all filled up you know, because you all jumped forward because you realize when we fix somebody's home, 
we do more than put on plaster and electricity. We care for their soul and give them a reason to believe that life is possible. I am thrilled that I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm glad many of you are. I would love for you all to. But let's not assume that being alive is off somewhere. Let's live individually for our own souls and for the sake of those around us in our relationships, in our homes, our families, our church, in our workplace, in our city, that we choose life for the world around us. Let's pray. Our Father, I I just love the simplicity of how you teach us so often. Choose life that you may live. Would you, by your Spirit, come into the midst of our room today? Would you meet with us, each one of us, and show us the places where we are not choosing life and show us how to? Show us a picture of wholeness and of beauty in our souls and lead us there. Show us a picture of wholeness and beauty in our city and lead us there. May we look back on a week, a month, a year and see that more and more we have chosen life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now going to do an infant dedication. And before we do that, I just want to give a a moment of explanation.